0: I don't have time. How many of us have said that before? I'd be, I'd be actually willing to bet a sizable amount of money that every person in this room has at one time said that. I remember saying that when I was very little, when my mom asked me to do the dishes, when I just wanted to go play mini sticks. I don't have time. But I heard a little while ago that uh, if whenever we say that, that phrase that we hear so often, oh, I, I, just, I don't have time, or when we're complaining to, to friends, I just don't have time to do all the things that I want to do. Well, we're actually... We're, we're, we're lying. We're lying. Because we do have time. We just choose not to use that time on whatever the person is asking us to do. Right? Because when we say, I don't have time, it's, it's not actually about time. It's about priority. About how we choose to use the time. Because everyone... No matter who you are has 24 hours in a day. Am I right? Every single person has 24 hours in a day. The the choice that we have is how do we use the 24 hours? And how we use the 24 hours in our day is about what we prioritize. what, What do we make time for? If you value schoolwork, for example, which might not be the popular choice, but if you value schoolwork, you will pour yourself over homework. You will go for extra help. You will get the good grades. If you value money, you will commit yourself to getting the best-paying jobs, right to, to impress all of your bosses and then, and then bring in that, that income. It's, it's about what we make time for. Psalm 82 gives us a picture of what God values what God prioritizes. The psalm gives us a picture of that. The setting for this psalm that that Dini just read for us, Psalm 82, is a little bit confusing. And it's confused a lot of people over the centuries. When when it talks about the gods, small g gods, there's there's basically two views for, for who this psalm is talking to. Uh, The first view is is what uh, uh, some Bible scholars call the divine counsel. That God has in the heavens, heavenly beings, that he has entrusted with authority, the power to rule over different parts of the universe. And he's calling these people together because there is is something that he needs to talk about there's 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 something that is not going right and he, so so he, he's calling the the heavenly divine council together to give them a talking to that's one way to, to view it the second way to view it is that the gods are actually human beings human rulers like presidents or kings or queens or prime ministers people who God has given The the authority to to rule different parts of our world. It's incredibly unclear from the Hebrew words or the context of this psalm or other parts of the scriptures what exactly this psalm is talking about. But whatever the, the setting is, what is very clear is what God values. What does God value? And so that's what we're going to look at this morning. And we'll look at what God prioritizes, why God prioritizes it, and how much he is willing to sacrifice for it. A blogger and author, Mark Manson, uh, says that, that what we value is what we will act on and what we will sacrifice for. And so that's, that's what we're going to look at this morning, what God prioritizes, why God prioritizes it, and, and how much he's willing to sacrifice for it. So first, uh, what does God prioritize? Well, in verses two to four, it tells us what He values, because He starts by giving us the problem. He says, "How long will you defend the unjust and show partiality to the wicked?" And what this Psalm is describing is what's consistent throughout the entire Old Testament. Is time and time again we see that God is a God of the vulnerable, of the weak of those who are being oppressed in, in society. And the picture that we see in this psalm is that those who have been given authority by God, who have been given power by God, are not using it in the way that God would like them to. They're, they're always picking the same unfair teams for the game in the playground. They're always stacking the deck against a certain group of people, and that's creating this this. this large difference between who's at the top and who's at the bottom. Uh, One person I was reading this week said that God is saying in this passage that those who have been given power, they're being careless with it. They're not thinking through how God calls them to use that power. And this is what it means to to show partiality to, um, the word partiality means to lift up to take side with one person while completely ignoring uh, the other. Imagine for a second, imagine if your coach, um, you know, if you're playing baseball or soccer this summer, imagine if your coach uh, divided the team. And actually, uh, th- there was a, a TV show a little while ago uh, called Mr. D. I don't know if anybody's ever seen that TV show. And in one of the first episodes, he's a school teacher, and he's uh, coaching the basketball team. And he lines all the kids up, from shortest to tallest, and then he, he cuts them off at a certain point. He says, okay, all the short kids, you can go home, and all the tall kids, okay, let's play some basketball, right? That's, that's what partiality means. The, the, Mr. D is only giving an opportunity to play to those who are actually showing skill at it, but, the, but then the tall players are just going to get good at basketball while the shorter players will never develop the skill. It's unfair. It's not just. It's not how God has ordered our world. There's an imbalance here that God is going after, an imbalance between the weak and the strong, between the rich and the poor. Bruce Waltke, who's an Old Testament Bible scholar, makes the observation that this psalm, uh, the wicked are those who are willing to, To disadvantage their community to advantage themselves that's the picture that we see here and when I was thinking about it it, it, you know disadvantage the community to advantage themselves that's monopoly right nobody buys Park Place and Boardwalk because they want to they want to create equality right you buy it because you want to bankrupt all the other players in the game (laughs) that's the point God is calling us to care about the weak and the vulnerable, to care about the imbalance that we see. But it isn't just that God only cares for the weak and the vulnerable in our society. It's something deeper. Because if we look to a different part of the Bible, in the book of Leviticus, we see that God says the same thing in, that He's saying in this psalm, except for to the opposite group of people. He says, He says this. He says, um, Do not pervert justice. Exactly what He's saying in this, in this passage. Do not pervert justice. Do not show partiality with the poor. Not with the rich, with the poor. Judge your neighbor fairly. And so what Bible scholars are saying is that, that, that God is, is for the vulnerable, for the oppressed, but he's for justice. He's for seeing justice being enacted. He doesn't, want, he doesn't want the poor or the vulnerable to be treated differently just because they're poor, but because it's unjust. Over and over and over again, we see that, that Israel was organized as a society— to have uh, stop gaps, so that the, it would it would uh, create more uh, uh, less injustice in their society. For example, one of the most popular examples is the year of jubilee. If if you've heard of the year of jubilee, that's every the fiftieth year, every fifty years, uh, they would there, there would be a year called the year of jubilee, and that dealt largely with with land and, and property rights. And according to Leviticus, during this year, it was required, it was mandatory, that that prisoners would be freed, that debts would be forgiven, and the mercy of God would be manifest among the people. The the Israelites had a year that was dedicated towards leveling the playing field so that there would not be the rich getting richer and the poor getting poorer. God prioritizes justice. And this is what we see here, defend the weak and the fatherless, uphold the cause of the poor and the oppressed, rescue the weak and the needy, and deliver them from the hand of the wicked. See, do you hear these action words that are in these these verses, right? Defend, uphold, rescue, deliver. And so from these words that that we hear in these verses, I want to point out three things that I think this psalm is getting at for us This first to speak up for the vulnerable for the weak for the fatherless so a few weeks ago tracy and i uh, watched a a movie about uh helen keller Now helen keller was a uh, blind mute and deaf uh, woman and had a, a really difficult childhood and she, but, the, but the movie w- was talking about her support worker. Uh, someone who, was, who had committed themselves to, to being a voice for Helen. And, and the movie followed how, how this, this person committed themselves to, to, to teaching Helen how to communicate and how, to, how, to, how she could communicate with other people, and, and committed herself to the well-being of Helen, to be a voice for her. See, whenever the Bible talks about the weak, they're talking about those who don't have a voice. Who, don't, who aren't able to be heard in society. And in a, in a patriarchal society like the ancient Near East was, that was often those who didn't have any money or possessions and those who didn't have a father, didn't have a family. Those were two things that made a huge difference in how you were heard. Right? So when, when this psalmist is talking about you know, um, to speak up for those who are weak, and those who are fatherless, that's what it's saying, is that those who don't have a voice in society speak up for those people. Interesting that there isn't much of a description of who, right? It's regardless of uh, who it is, race, gender, ethnicity, a, a Christian is a, is a person who-, who-, who is called to, in every situation, ask the question, who isn't heard? Who can't be heard? And how can I speak up for them? They may be wrong, right? They may be wrong. They may have a wrong view. But how can I speak up for them so they can be heard? The second action word here is uphold. Uh, in this, in, in this, this psalm, the, the word uphold is actually the Hebrew word that captures a lot of different English words and combines them all into one, okay? And so it means to show to be right, To uphold means to show to be right. And what this is saying is that it goes beyond speaking up for people and digs down to understand who they are. It's a legal term. And it's a legal term that describes somebody who's making a case for somebody else. How how do they make that case? They get to know them. So the um, the only way that I know of what, a lawyer does, is when Tracy and I bought our house, and Suits, the TV show. And so I'm going to go with Suits. Because what strikes me when I watch this show, and I think it's fairly accurate from, from uh, talking to a few lawyers about it, is that the amount of work that it takes, You know, oftentimes in, in Suits, you'll see Uh, that their offices are just filled of boxes and boxes and boxes and boxes of documents. Because a lawyer is required, in order to make a case for somebody, in order to show that they're right, you have to know everything about them. What's going on? Why do they need to be heard? Why are they right? Why are they wrong? How can I present this in the light? All these things the lawyer needs to know, needs to understand, needs to dig down. I think that's what this psalm is, this is getting at, to uphold the cause. It means to get to know those who, who are vulnerable and weak in our society and speak up for them in that way. You can't show someone to be right unless you get to know their situation, if you, you get past the surface level. And the third action word in this is save, to save from the hand of the wicked. And this word is actually the word redeem. Redeem. It means to save, to 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 to, to it means to, to set free. God calls us not just to aid, but to change the course of lives, to to dedicate ourselves to those who are weak, who are poor, who are oppressed. So much that we we actually change the course of their life. But why does God prioritize justice in this way? Why is God so for justice? And we get a hint at it in verse 6 where he says, You are gods, you are all sons of the Most High, but you will die like mere mortals, you will fall like every other ruler. And what commentators say that this, is, this, this verse is getting at is that the people with, and this is true, people with power tend to think of themselves as different, as invincible, as above others. Or they can do whatever they want. But this is God's way of reminding those people in society with power that they are just like every other human being. When it comes down to it, human rulers are the exact same as human beggars. They're both sons and daughters of the Most High. And John Calvin has a, has a famous part in, in his Institutes, big thick book that he wrote, that he, he digs into this a little bit more. And he says, he says this, he says, Therefore, whatever man you meet who needs your help, whoever needs your help, you have no reason to refuse them. Say, he's a stranger, but the Lord has given him a mark. The Lord has given him a mark that should be familiar to you. Say that he does not deserve even the least effort for his sake, but the image of God, which recommends him to you, is worthy of giving yourself and all your possessions. So what Calvin's getting at is, is I think what this psalmist is getting at, is that It's the image of God in every human being in this world. That's why God prioritizes justice like this. Is because he has created every single person in his image. And because of that image, they deserve justice. They deserve it. And when we hear the call for justice that comes out loud and clear in this psalm, and we hear why God prioritizes justice like this, it becomes impossible for us to ignore. We can't ignore it. So how do we respond? How do we respond to this? Well, it's easy to respond in two ways. First, we can think of our, ourselves and say, mm, you know, I, I think I do a pretty good job, actually. If I, if I think of how I prioritize my t- time, I do give priority to the vulnerable. I do these things that the psalmist is talking about here. And there's others who say, oh, geez, I'm going to go home today, and I'm going to reorder my schedule, and then I'm going to pray to God, and I'm going to say, God, I don't need an A-plus in social justice. I just need a B. I just need to pass. But both of these cases, we're making it a bar that we have to pass, something that we have to do, and we miss something. We miss that no matter how hard we try to care for those who are weak and vulnerable in our society, to speak up for the, the orphan, for the fatherless, we we are making it something that's purely physical, a need that can be met. We, we, we reduce it to, to offering money and possessions and ourselves to others who are in need. But, but we're missing the spiritual element to this. And that is that each one of us, each one of us, and it's so fitting that Brian read the sermon from, from Martin Lloyd-Jones on the, the poor in spirit. It fits so well into what we're talking about this week because when, we, when, when it comes down to it, each one of us is like a beggar. Here on the streets for God. We, we are hopeless to pass the, the bar that God has set for us. We'll never be able to get out of the cycle of sin that we are so deeply caught up in. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? The last point is how much does God sacrifice for his priority of justice? How much is he willing to give of himself for justice? And that's where we see that the Bible teaches us that God cares so much for justice in the world that he sent Jesus Christ to to embrace our humanity, to live as we did, as we are. But to die on the cross for our sin, for, for the ways that we cannot possibly live up to God's standard of living. On the cross, he suffered the blow of justice that we deserve. Nobody spoke up for him. Nobody advocated for Jesus. Nobody saved him. He was there, and he was alone. And he took it. Took it. And he died. He took our place on the judgment seat. So that that, that that we have been spoken for, we have been advocated for, we have been saved from our sinfulness, we have been given a future through Jesus. And so before we think, oh, I've got to do more social justice because God demands it, we have to see that that, that the gospel says that God so deeply cares for us that he was willing to let his son die for our sin, our injustice. There's nothing that we can do. We have to receive that. Receive it. We receive salvation by grace through faith. What the gospel says is that I deserve to be on the streets. God's brought me into the penthouse. He's lifted me up. That's why Timothy Keller, in his great book on justice, says to us, he says, When a Christian who understands the gospel sees a poor person, they realize they're looking into a mirror. God's grace to us is what makes us care about injustice. It's what makes us care about those who are around us. God has spoken for me. How can I not speak for others? God has has saved me. Why can I not work to, to save those who are around us? God's grace makes us just. Before I close, a few helpful points that help us to apply this to our lives. First, you know, we're we're looking through this psalm as a this, this series as a language to prayer, and I admit that that this psalm kind of led me away from that, and, and and but but at the same time, these these issues are so deep, these issues of injustice, and and as we as we wrestle with how can we engage as Christians, we need to be in prayer because we need the Holy Spirit to help us to see how to help. We need the Holy Spirit to help us to see our own poverty so we can respond fairly and, and helpful to others. So pray about this. Pray about your own poverty in the Spirit. Secondly, though, there's an office in the church called the deacons. These are people who, who we have uh, recognized that God has appointed to, to take on the tangible deeds of ministry. And there's a lot of things that our church is doing to fight against the injustice in our city and in our world. And so if you're, if you're looking for ways to get, get engaged, talk to them. Talk to them, and, and, and they can find, find ways to, to help you uh, get engaged in, in this stuff in, in our city of Hamilton and, and even in worldwide. God calls us to care for those in our midst who are poor, who are weak, who are vulnerable, not because, not because of anything that they deserve other than the fact that they are made in his image, just as we are. We are all sinners saved by grace. Let's pray together. Lord God, we hear your call to justice, to speak out, to advocate for, and to save those in our world who are a uh, victim of the imbalance. God, we thank you for Jesus who took the blow of justice that we deserve so that we only receive wounds of grace that wake us up. We ask that you be with us as we wrestle with issues in our own city, in our neighborhoods, in our world. Lord, we need your Holy Spirit to lead us and guide us. Lord, we thank you for initiatives that you've already moved us to to begin, such as CAP, World Renew Resonate, other social justice initiatives. Lord, help us by your Spirit to continue to see these flourish and speak up for the, the vulnerable in our society. Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.